Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, on this episode of Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, I'm joined by Manol Rayom, the first woman to play in any of the major North American pro sports leagues. She did so in 1992 with the Tampa Bay Lightning and was quite an inspiration to myself. I remember seeing her and thinking, if she can make the NHL, maybe I can. And I know I wasn't alone. So happy we got to record. A lot of fun. Great interview. Enjoy. I wanted to ask you is when you were a young girl growing up, what were there for goals and aspirations? Because there wasn't even women's Olympics yet. No female had played professional at that point. So when you were playing goalie growing up, what were you hoping to do with it as you got older? You know, actually, when I started playing, I was only girl playing in Quebec. So truthfully, I was only playing because I loved the game. And my two brother was playing. My father was a coach. And I didn't really had any aspiration in hockey just because of all the reason you name um, I was just playing because I loved it you got to the point though where you must have been really good at this at a young age because I think back to my time I did peewee Quebec also and I guess what we're 12 or 13 when we do that but you were the first girl to play in that tournament had there been kind of a buzz around your ability when you were a kid growing up to get selected to make that team and play in the tournament yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was younger, actually, uh, at a very young age, I tried to try out for the AAA level. There was a double A back in Quebec, the highest level as possible, but they did not want a girl uh, at that level. So I was playing the, the level below, and being at that level below, I was probably one of the best goalie um, of that age group. So our team was doing pretty well, and I was a big part of it. Um, which was nice. So when I went to the tournament in Quebec, uh, I remember my mom still have the article, but someone wrote an article and said, um, with her skills, maybe you will, at 11 years old, we may see her one day play in the NHL. And I thought it was the, you know, the silliest comment (laughs) a reporter (laughs) ever made. I was only like 11, 12 years old, and someone made that kind of comment. And it kind of like, went away and never thought about that. So when I went to Tampa Bay, it was pretty funny to look back and at that article. They'd already set the table for you at that point. So women's hockey really didn't exist or girls hockey didn't exist for you as a kid. Is that right? No, I was the only girl playing in Quebec and uh, it was just, if you, nobody really was interested as a girl to play hockey hmm. and they didn't really have girls hockey there. Um, they had a few women adult woman that was playing, but they had to drive to Montreal to be able to play in a women's league. And they were probably, their ice time was about 10 or 11 o'clock at night when nobody else wanted to play and the woman was playing at that time. (laughs) 
It wasn't the prime time sessions that the guys were getting then. They were just casting it off to the ladies late. That's nice Absolutely of them, right? Not. Yeah. So what drew you <laughs> yep. to the position? What drew you to be a goaltender though? Did you have goalies in the NHL that you looked up to, or was it just something that you organically decided, hey, this is what I want to do? No, actually, I blame both my brothers for that. Um, both of them were <laughs> playing hockey, and I was not. But every time I wanted to play with them at home. Uh, they were dressing me as a goalie and just practiced their shot on me, and I started liking it. And that was my way to spend time with my brother. And uh, one day, my dad, um, he was a coach of my uh, youngest brother's team. And at that age, uh, nobody was really a goalie. Like, they were kind of making a rotation who was playing goalie, and they had a tournament to go play. And nobody wanted to play goalie for the tournament. So um, at dinner table, I told my dad, why not me? I do it all the time here with my my brothers. So um, he talked to my mom about it. She was not sure. And he decided to let me try. Amazing. So were you pretty close with your brothers? Because I know Pascal in passing from playing against him for a lot of years, but I also don't know about your other brother. And you also fit into the category of goaltender, though, that was put in the net by a sibling. And I think that there's three different categories. Either you love the equipment or you have brothers or sisters that make you play or you weren't a very good skater. So clearly you're in the brothers or sisters <laughs> category. But what's your what was your relationship with Pascal and your other brother growing up? Yeah, um, I was really close to my younger brother, Pascal, just because we were a year apart. Mm -hmm. And um, every year, one year, we were playing on the same team. And the following year, we were on a different team uh, in Quebec. It's a double birth year uh, for every category. So uh, I got to play a lot with him. My older brother, uh, I was not as close to him for the reason that at some point he decided that we were all competing in alpine ski and uh, playing hockey, the three of us. And so my parents at some point said, this is too much. We were going from um, the hill the, from a competition to a hockey game and back to the competition. It was just too crazy. So we had to make a choice. And my older brother picked uh, skiing. And both myself and Pascal, we picked uh, hockey. So and we become really close because we played a lot of years together. So how did you end up getting to Major Junior? Because I know you you only played one game in the Quebec Major Junior League, but again, you were the first woman to do so. How did you get there? You know, what route did you take through youth hockey to make that happen for you? Yeah, actually, uh, at the double level, then I try out when I was a squirt, when I was peewee. And even at peewee, um, the coaches was telling my dad, don't bring her to training camp. We're not going to take a girl on our team. And my dad was still taking me to the camp because that's what I wanted to do and never told me that I had no chance. And truthfully, it's probably one of the reasons why I made it where I made it because every time I got caught, um, I was disappointed and I wanted to work harder and make myself better for the following year. And finally, when I made it to Bantam, the coach didn't care if I was a girl or a boy. He said, I'm going to pick the best goalie. And um, not only I made the team, but I become like the number one goalie on the team playing a lot of the big tournament and um you know was playing my turn like we were alternating but often in the tournament I, I got to play the bigger game um and the two years after bantam uh, every goalie that played bantam double a was invited to the midget triple a camp which is the level before major junior 
except me. So <laughs> this time, again, I got caught because I was a girl. I'm sure it pissed you right off. You know, it, it was uh, it was hard because I finally got to play two years of double A and did very well. And I, I thought I finally am accepted. And sure enough, the, the following year, that did not happen. And then the problem after that, it's uh, every goalie that made it to the AAA, um, Ninja AAA tryouts, they were taking the spot on a double A. So that was pushing me back down another level. And uh, when you get to that age, if you're not playing in a double A AA or AAA level, the guys are not taking hockey as serious and they're more uh, worried about the party on the road and things. And it was not what I wanted. So um, I, I decided to quit playing hockey uh, with boys and I, I missed it. And I was a month or two without playing. And I heard that they had this woman league uh, in Montreal that was pretty competitive. So um, I joined a, a team and every Saturday I had to drive two and a half hours to Montreal and play at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, coming back home around three or four in the morning um, but that was my only way I can play competitive hockey. So, and uh, our team did very well. So we ended up representing Team Quebec in the um, there was some kind of provincial, and uh, the final was on TV. So that was Team Quebec against Team Ontario. And I remember, I think the shot was like 35 to 10, and we only lost one nothing. We had 35 against us. I had a really good game that game, and it was on TV. So um, back then, my brother was playing midget AAA, and um, I was always at his game. I never missed any of my brother's game or my dad when he was coaching's game. So I was sitting in a stand, and a, a coach from the major junior from Trois-Rivières was there, and uh, he mentioned to me that he saw my game on TV and he was really impressed of the way I played. And he started talking to me about his team and telling me the player that was playing for him. And every time he was naming a name, I was like, Oh, I play with them in Bantam. I play against them. I play with them. And he said, listen, he said, if you want to come up and practice with us um, and just to see how you're doing, you can. So I soon he said that to me the next week, I call him right away and, told my mom, I'm not going to school today. I'm driving to 12, yeah, which was about an hour and a half. And I'm going to go practice with that junior team. So I did that and I did very well in that practice. So after that practice, he said to me, um, I want you to come to camp next season. So next season, um, I went to their camp. And again, I did very well in the camp. Um, I kind of finished like the third goalie of the team. So I went down to play junior A that year. And every time they had an injury or something like this, I was called up. And so I back up a few games for them. Uh, one of the goalie in Germany South. And um, I was the backup of actually Jocelyn Thibault that played in the NHL yeah, for sure. a few years. Um, and uh, I remember one of the games, I think that was the second or the third game that I was uh, backing, uh, backing up. Um, we were winning like five to one. And after that, I went five, two, five, three, five, four, five, five. And at five, five, the coach turned by me and said, you're going in. And it was really cool because when he put me in, he didn't put me in because they wanted to try to do a publicity stunt. And mm -hmm. it was really about, we need to change the game around right now. This is, uh, that, that was a decision he would have made if it was a male goalie there, which was really cool to, to get into the game like that and 
Unfortunately, I couldn't finish the game because uh, in the third period, I got a slap shot in my helmet and my cage broke and I no cut my way. eye open and I didn't know I was bleeding uh, and the play kept going and I kept playing, but, and I was kind of not able to see very well. Um, so I was shaking my head and I couldn't see anything. But when the play stopped, I looked down and I had blood all over my jersey, oh. all on the ice. It's this so this big historic bench. moment, and you're out there bleeding from a shot to the <laughs> face, right? What are the chances? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the, the interesting part is, so the trainer told me, you cannot stay on the ice. Like, you have to come off. We need stitches. So I went off, and um, they did stitches right away when I was there in the locker room. And after that, I faced the media, and one of the things, one of the comments from the media, see, it's a girl, and you got hurt. And I was <sighs> so mad, like telling myself, oh, if it was a guy, the helmet would have not broke. But because it's a girl, the helmet broke. How hard was it um, not to reach across and grab the guy's mic and just beat him <laughs> over the head with it? What a disrespectful <laughs> thing to say. Did you have a an idea, though, that this was a somewhat historic moment, at least, though, or were you just riding the wave of adrenaline? You know, absolutely. I, I didn't realize, uh, truthfully, even that moment and when I went to Tampa, I never realized the impact and how big of a deal it was. Because I was young and I loved playing the game. And my only, the only reason I was doing it, it's because I loved it. So, um, but I realized after that, uh, like the media attention started. Uh, I think I went back home and it was six or a few days later at 630 in the morning, my parents' phone was ringing off the hook and I was wondering what was going on. Um, and then I started having all that attention. Did the media ever get to be too much for you? Because I can't imagine how much of this must have been heaped on you at a really, really fast pace after these things happened. And not just in like Hockey Mad Quebec growing up, but as soon as you went to Tampa, it must have taken on a life of its own, I'm sure. It, it was crazy. And, you know, the the thing that um, I didn't want to feel like I was different than anybody else, even if it was obvious that I was different. Right, right. I was a girl. I was a rookie. I speak French. I had everything against me <laughs> going to camp, but um, I I didn't want the attention. I wanted to be just one of the player, and that was the hardest part. So I tried to do a lot of the thing away from the guys, away from the team, and I was always requesting that. And I know it was kind of annoying for the PR person, but <laughs> it was important to me that it was not just all about me, and um, which made it hard on the PR guy on the team, but it, it, I needed to do it that way because it was already hard for me to be accepted uh, being a female that I didn't want to have that over my head either. That's a PR jo guy's job. I mean, that's what they have to do anyway. And they, they had to know that they had a unique situation on their hands here. I mean, it was the first time a woman had played ever in North American pro sports. And, you know, going to camp, though, I know Phil Esposito was kind of integral in that happening. But what was the process like to get the invitation to show up? And really, what were the expectations going into camp? I think after I played in uh, Trois-Rivières, I know one of the scouts of Tampa Bay sent a tape of me to Phil, not telling him that I was a girl. Um, and then, you know, a few, I started hearing a few things that some team in the minors would be interested to maybe invite me. 
Um, but, you know, nothing really happened after I played that game. I finished my year and I was 20 years old. So the chance for me to be on that team the following year as a 21-year-old, like they only allowed like three players at that age. Um, I thought I was done for hockey um, and I was planning to go and go to university. Um, so I took a summer job at RDS, which is the French version of ESPN or TSN in Canada. And um, my first assignment was the NHL draft in Montreal. Um, so I went to the draft and my job was to go pick, go see the players that needed to be interviewed, bring them where we were doing the interview, kind of like doing the running around for the TV. And uh, when I was there, the scout that sent the video to Phil was there and he went to get Phil and he said, listen, he came to see me, he said, listen, Phil, I suppose they want to talk to you. Um, so it's truly being at the right place at the right moment. And um, I went and sit down in the stand and start talking to him. And he asked me if I was interested to come to training camp. And I thought he was joking. Yeah. You serious, Phil? Me, Listen, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to. And uh, he said me, he said, "Listen, I'm going to send you a letter of invite. You have two weeks to respond. Let me know." So, like, it was kind of like very uh, weird, like feeling because now I'm like, who am telling now? <laughs> who can I send that someone right. invite me to training camp? Should I do it? Should I not do it? Um, and it's not like you probably you probably didn't have an agent at the time either, right? Oh, no, no. Right, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have anybody to give me advice on that. And first I said to myself, I need to find out if it's true, if I'm going to get the the letter. And sure enough, I got the letter in the mail, uh, which my mom still has. She kept it. <laughs> and um, I got a letter in the mail. And I remember a lot of people said to me, you know, you know, they're inviting you because you're a girl. And are you not yeah. afraid to look bad out there? And why would you want to do that? And what I told myself is so many times, so many people said no to me because I'm a girl. And if this time someone invite me for that reason, I still have to prove myself there. Uh, it doesn't matter why they invite me. I need to, to go for it. And I didn't want to live my life with regret. And I felt like as I was younger, I always, any opportunity that I had to play the higher level, I took it. And that was a chance for me to go somewhere and play the highest level. I love it because you're just, I can tell just from talking to you that you were just super driven and just out to prove everybody wrong and, and to just obviously get to the highest levels and succeed. And like, I understand your feelings here too, where, you know, from the outside looking in, there was probably that perception of it being a publicity stunt, but I love that you just attacked it and went for it. And you did get into a game because you had a good training camp, right? I mean, that's what everything I've read is that you earned the chance to finally get in there and play a game. And once you did... What were the nerves like before you stepped on the ice? Because again, there was the historical aspect to it, but you know, you know how it is. Like that doesn't even almost matter when you're just trying to go out there and perform. So, what were you feeling going into your first preseason NHL game? It, it was I something that I never felt before. Um, I remember the walk from my locker room to the ice. I never in my life been that nervous. I felt like my heart would come out of my chest. This is how fast I was beating. And it was just a weird feeling because I, I played big games before that. I played in the world championship. I play, like I, I play in big games, but I never experienced like being that nervous before a game. 
um, because you have to realize it, when I got invited to camp, I didn't know how I would I would be doing. I remember the night, the first night that we got there, and I walked in that meeting room and the guys were so big and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? And I'm not regretting <laughs> something, but like, I was like, what am I doing here? And everybody's looking at me and, and you're five, seven, right? So it's not like you're tiny, but that's still a small for for the man's game, at least at that point. Yes. Right. It was small for the man's game. Yeah. And, um, and it's not until after that, even that first game, uh, we started right away with a small mini tournament and, um, we were divided in four teams. Every team had two goalies. Every goalie was playing a period. I remember the other goalie started the first period, and I was watching the game off fast it was going, and I never played at that level. So uh, not knowing what you're capable of doing, and it's a game right away, so it's not like you have a practice to have a feel of the shot. Other than the warm-up, you were going right at it. <laughs> so um, we were like uh, up two to one after that first period, and the cool thing, it had a couple of French guys on the other team that told me the story after the game. But in the locker room on the other team, they said, oh, no problem. Now the girl's coming in. So we're just going to win this game. And um, I went into my period and I did not allow any goals and 14 shots. And we ended up winning 5-1 to one that game. And uh, it was really like that moment that changed my life. Truthfully for me, that was like the moment that, you know, I could not believe that I went into a period like this and play that well and gain the respect of the guys in training camp. Right. Um, and after that, like in training camp, they were posting the, you know, the, the um, stats and the goals against and the, you know, the, 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 the players uh, points. And I finished the, the mini tournament with the third best average of all the goalies. So it's true. It's after that, that they decide to have me play in an exhibition game um, but that exhibition game, I remember that walk from my locker room. It was different because was, I was not just playing for me, but it was also for, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning that invite me. Like, I didn't want to embarrass myself. I didn't want to embarrass them having made that decision. And it was really, I think I kind of like, um, I had like more than just playing for me that day. Yeah. So, but the the really cool thing is when I stepped on the ice, it's like the butterfly went away. I forgot I was playing in an NHL game and I just started focusing on the game and the puck dropped. And I remember we got a a PK right from the start. The other team got a power play right from the start. Trial by <laughs> fire. Like, Here it comes. Really? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but actually it was probably the best thing that happened because I got a few shots right away and yep. made the save. You know, that just gave me confidence and, um, I finished my period and it was a 2-2 game when I left the period, the game. Isn't that a, isn't that really the best way when you get in there and you have a couple saves early and you get a little confidence and you're thinking, okay, I'm rolling now. You don't feel like you're floating anymore. Like in those big games yeah. and big moments, I've had that where what you described to me as you're walking out to the sheet made me think of when I played the last couple of years in Calder Cup finals and other things where you just feel like you're floating as you're walking out. Like it's almost surreal and it's not really happening. But then the moment that puck hits you, it's like, bang, you know, finger snap, you're in the game. You're not thinking about anything else. It's your happy place out there, right? Yep. And that's when I've, I knew that this is why I'm doing this, because I just love playing the game. I, awesome. No other reason. And if you're not passionate about it and you go through all that, like, stress before, it's not worth it. Um, you need to love the game to be able to play under that kind of, like, 
stress. And um, that's when I knew I was where I belonged. No, it's not an easy game. And we know that firsthand being goalies, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And we always talk about how we don't want our kids to play goalie. And you've got a kid that's a goalie. I've got one that desperately wants to be one. And I'll, I'll hit on that later. But what I do want to know about training camp too, though, is that if there was anybody who in particular went out of their way to help you make you help make you feel comfortable or to help you during training camp. You know, Phil was amazing, actually. And uh, I remember um, that was a funny story, too. That was my luck. But uh, they lost my luggage uh, when I got there. I didn't have equipment yet. I didn't have, like, anything. So the night before, that was our meeting. And after the meeting, I went to see Phil. I said, I know we have our fitness testing in the morning um, and our first game, but I don't have anything. They for- and I don't know when my luggage is going to get here. So he said, no problem. Go see my daughter. She's here. She'll help you. Um, She'll have clothes for you to wear. So I go see her, and her daughter was way smaller than me. So all she had is a pair of jean shorts. So I tried them on, (laughs) and they're like skin tight on me. (laughs) Yeah, jean shorts, and they're skin tight on me. (laughs) And then she had a T-shirt made for the team, and the T-shirt said, real men wear black. So I'm wearing a real men wear black t-shirt, skin tight jean shorts, and my dress shoes to go do my physical. I'm so embarrassed. They have tons of media there. I'm meeting the guys for the first time. And it was just like, seriously, what is the chance that it happened to me? Um, and I soon, while we were doing the testing, my luggage came in. I remember just be so excited to go change. But I'm telling you, a couple of media did take that picture with me wearing that T-shirt. <laughs> I saw it somewhere else. But she was, uh, you know, Phil was really trying to help me. And even in the locker room, um, he had a big chest protector, brand new for me to wear for the camp. And as no in the world, you know, as a goalie, especially back then, but back then the equipment, it, it took like months to breaking either shoulder pads or pads or gloves. So there's uh, no way in the world I was going to wear that. Um, I was still wearing the same shoulder pads I wear when I was peewee. And my dad just put two plastic in the front, um, you know, just to protect me more. And that was it. That's what I was wearing. Um, but he really wanted to try to make me feel comfortable and make sure that I was not going to get hurt. And his daughter was helping me. And even after that, the t- when they told me that I was playing an exhibition game, all the guys was dressed in suit and tie. I didn't bring any like dress top to wear. There's no way I was <laughs> yeah. thinking I'm going to play. So his daughter took me shopping and get me some stuff for me to wear. What did you wear? Did you go with like a pantsuit, like a like a Hillary Clinton type of pantsuit, or did you yeah, go like, for a dress? Because like, you didn't stay with the jean I, shorts, I, you right? Know what? I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did the either like the um, the pantsuit and, and like like the jacket, like a woman would wear uh, business attire, right, or sometimes yeah. I would do skirt when I play pro. So nice. um, I try to stay as, uh, you know, as feminine as possible when you deal with all that. You touched on it briefly about your equipment. And that's something I really wanted to be specific when I was asking you, because I know it's changed today that they're building stuff that's kind of female specific. But for you back then, I'm guessing that wasn't the case at all. Was it hard to get stuff that fits you properly or work the way you wanted it to just because of your gender? Or did it really not make a difference? Yeah, it was hard because for me, I was smaller. My hand was smaller. My body was smaller. So 
and I was playing at a high level. So to get protective equipment that fit me, um, I had to go with the junior size, which was not protective enough. Um, during the camp, I was bruised head to toes. Like my body was so bruised. Uh, the trainer every day had to have uh, add padding to my chest protector, my shoulder, like the shoulder. If I show you the picture of what I wear, you would say you're crazy to have gone to a training camp with that. Um, but I had no choice. I was, I wanted to be able to move. I didn't want to be able to be like, um, having all that bulky stuff and then be able to move. So that was the hardest, uh, thing to do. But after I did the camp, uh, they have a few company that had to custom made all my stuff. So they were using junior size, but having protection to it. So that was helpful, but, um, it was a challenge and luckily, I had company that wanted to make me like equipment because I would have never been able to just buy off the shelf something that would work. Well, you got to, uh, let's be honest too. You had some notoriety around you too, that I'm sure that companies wanted to help you. Right. So it probably actually advanced, (laughs) it probably advanced the women's equipment. I guess a little bit down the road because of that, but you also had an unreal lightning mask at camp. So did the team make that up for you in advance of training camp? Because I remember, I remember this thing clearly. It had the lightning bolts on the side. It was super kind of old school and clean, white bars. I'm guessing the cage didn't break on you right away in camp and you weren't bleeding. So you must have been happy that they, you must have been happy that they took care of you leading up to camp. No, that was great to have like, cause I play, I never played with a goldie mask before that. We always had those helmet and the oh, you were the cage. combo you were a combo so, wearer yes oh man the junior that's what we were in junior so that's that was my helmet this is one of the reason i got hurt in junior because of that cage with the the helmet was you know not as protective for right. a goalie the old hm30 cooper <laughs> was any <I> yes <laughs> was there was there anything in camp you talked about where oh here comes the girl now we're just going to win the game was anybody not cool to you at all you know i mean in a way that you could tell that they were super off put by you being in camp or for the most part was everybody nice to you enough that they even if they weren't comfortable with it they just glossed it over you know what i i said most of the people were really supportive and nice especially after that first session on the ice mm-hmm. um and they saw that i was working hard and i didn't want to get all the attention and um so i i started gaining respect um, of the players that way. Um, but some people, I'm sure some people didn't like the fact that I was there and that I was playing. And I know, um, and, and that was really interesting. And it's so cool to have talked to him years later, but the coach Terry Chris, at first, it was not for it. And, um, and then we talked, uh, 20 years after I played, he, he was actually a reporter in Nashville and we did an interview together and he, he was admitting to me that, at first, he was just not, but and I had such a great, you know, mini camp. And when they decide to put me in, that I deserved it, and it was really cool to hear that from him because I read things over the years um, that at first he was that was not something that he was happy with. Um, so that was really cool, and he was like happy to have been part of it and. So that's my point is when I did the camp, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. I didn't realize that my story would impact so many people. It took me years to realize that. And having people come up to me and 
sometimes even hockey player that played the game in the NHL come up to me and said that was the coolest thing what you did. And I think people realize that it, it's a big, and you play the game, you play at that level, you know how hard it is to make it, how hard it is to stay there and the sacrifice that you have to make. So for them, it's like, wow, for you to have not gotten any experience before that and be able to do it. Um, and it was really cool to hear that from some NHL guys. I'm definitely in that boat. I mean, I can consider myself a big fan of yours growing up, and I'm not trying to flatter you too much here, but I looked at what you did making it to play a game in the preseason, and I was from St. Louis where nobody had ever played in the NHL before, and it kind of gave me a beacon of hope thinking, man, you know, if she can make it there, I can do it from St. Louis. And obviously, even being different genders, there was still that, you know, that goal to strive for. And I know everybody my age here was, this is so cool. There's a girl who's doing it, you know, and, you know, it had to be something like you say that at the time it wasn't a big deal looking back it's a big thing now but the media aspect to it like we talked about earlier had to get really crazy but then you got to do some cool stuff like you went on letterman and what was that experience like (laughs) it's funny you mentioned that um i was from quebec and i speak french so never saw the show before i didn't even know who he was when the guy from the PR from Tampa Bay said, they want to have you there, um, they want to have young Letterman. I said, who's this guy? And he said, it's a big deal. And I had no clue who he was. And he was all like, he wanted me to do it so bad. And I remember going to the show and they said, he may be going to be hard on you or nice. We don't know yet. Yeah, because he could be a um, dick at times. Not- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my English was not very good uh, back then. And um, I remember going to doing the show and thinking, oh, my gosh, I did so well in English. And years later, I watched back the, the whole show and I cannot even understand myself. So that's how <laughs> bad my English was. But um, it was kind of surreal years later to live in the U.S. and see how big the guy was. Because when I went there, I had no clue how big he was. And I... I guess that's my point. I was just going through the motion of playing hockey and I was doing all this stuff they asked me to do, but I had no clue or uh, how big my story was, I guess. Did you ever have to decline anything because you thought it was, you know, kind of overtly either sexist or too racy or, you know, like I'm sure you were probably a little bit protective of your brand at the time. And were you really careful to pick and choose the spots that you did when it came to media? Yeah. Uh, you know, as as much as I I was able to to make decision, of course, uh, I remember you know when I after I played at the year junior, the reason my phone was ringing at six thirty in the morning is Playboy had already contacted the junior team and um, it was all over the media that they wanted me to post in their magazine and that was for a lot of money and I right away I was like no way I'm going to do anything like this and um, it was just not in my value. Um, and other things along the way came and people asking me to do things. And really, I, I was trying to, I realized at some point that um, you have to to support the media because the media promote the game. And if they promote the game, it helps, um, you know, the game in general and it help everybody else. So um, I was doing as much as I can to help the team. But at some point, I had to pick and choose some of the stuff because I wanted to focus on playing hockey. Um, and it become like I remember the first few years, it was so crazy. I was doing card show everywhere, every weekend. 
and it had become very lonely. Like I was already the only girl playing with the boys, always by myself on the road, uh, always by myself in the locker room. And then I was going back home in the summer, but traveling every weekend by myself, um, different city and having to tell my story every single day. And it was getting like a lot. Uh, so at some point I just started slowing down and, um, just want to be a normal person. And that was the weirdest thing too, how some of the people look at you so different after that. And even my friend back home, they're like, Oh, you still talk to us? I said, of yeah. course, I'm the same person. I'm not different. And it was really, it made me realize like, I, I cannot believe like those Hollywood uh, star, how they live their life every day. Like it's crazy because people see them as different people, but at the end of the day, they're just normal people like you and I and our neighbors and and our friends. So um, that was like a little hard to get used to this attention. And especially when I was going back home, you going eat to restaurants, everything you do, everything you order, you go shopping, everything you look at, people are just watching what you do. I cannot imagine having done what I did if social media was oh. the way it is now. Like, I, I just don't know how I would have been able to handle, because luckily back then, all I was getting is fan mail in the mail, so, yeah. <laughs> which I got a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. Every day I had like hundreds and hundreds, but it was fan mail, and I could pick and choose if I'm going to open the fan mail, but my mom was so cool. She, you know, she thought it was important that we respond to everybody, but I, I was getting so much so she would sit down with me and opening up the letters and make me sign the cards. And it was just uh, my parents, the greatest people. And that's the reason I made it to where I made it. So, um, but the social media today, I, I, I don't know how I would have been able to handle everything if we would have been to, in that world. Well, I mean, you were a full-blown celebrity, let's face it. You know, like this was a huge deal that everybody in sports was talking about. And when it happens that quickly, it can be overwhelming. And it's it's so funny how you talk about people still coming up to you like, oh, you're still Manon Rayom? Like, you're still going to be my friend and talk to me. I've had that before, and I'm a relative nobody in the game, you know, where I've played for a long time and stuff. But I just had a friend of mine a couple of days ago come up to me. I hadn't seen him in probably six or seven years, but he's like, yeah, 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 this is, I'm so-and-so. I'm like yeah, I know it's you, man. We're buddies. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's really odd how that works. I know. And people see you different. And it's 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 really interesting to see how they see you in a different way and they are afraid to approach you. And, yeah. and I don't know if you felt the same way, but sometimes they almost don't want to be around you because they think you're not going to want to talk to them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you talked about how you felt kind of lonely in the game and, and always being alone, locker room hotel room, everything else. How was the transition to women's hockey? Because after that, going to the Olympics and being more involved with it, and this was also after you played, you know, those couple of years pro in the men's game too. Was it nice to be in a scenario where you felt a little bit more welcome like that in terms of just the logistics of it? Oh, absolutely. Having a roommate on the road. <laughs> Having someone <laughs> to go out down and have breakfast. And, I don't want roommates uh, on the road the anymore. Morning. I want my me time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was excited. I had someone to talk to. And yeah. um, and being in the locker room and having that um, camera during the locker room and then be the hot person on the team, absolutely, it was nice. Um, and, and it was a good change. So 
I, I really enjoyed the last few years. I played pro hockey in the men's and I was going back to the national team for training camp. And it, it was really a cool balance between both. Um, it has something to do with playing on the men's game and, and, and the level of play. And I think back then, uh, women's hockey was good, but not as good as it is now. Uh, you look at those Olympians today, and they're athletes, and they're amazing in uh, the, the training and, and the speed of the game. But um, back then, I think the difference, it was still like uh, playing pro hockey was still more um, better for me to to make myself better. And it was just nice to be part of the team. Did you feel like you got a fair shake in pro hockey? You know, it, it was. Uh, I always have to prove myself. I'm telling you, I I play the level that I was. That that I was the most successful was like the third level. So you had the NHL, and back then I was in the IHL, um, and then the East Coast League. And the East Coast League was really where I could play and make a difference and win games. And I remember. Um, you know, one year I played in uh, Knoxville and I didn't play a lot of game, but every time I played, I had a good game or won a game. And, and it was really hard because, you know, you win a game and you don't see a game for a month or two. And it, it's always like, and every game you play, you have to be great. Uh, it's always hard for a, a goalie that doesn't play a lot of game. Cause you know, that that game means something if you want to play another one, but I also had to deal with, I knew I had all the attention, the media attention. So my performance will be in the paper the next day. And um, even if I was playing in the East Coast Hockey League. And so it was a different uh, pressure uh, back then. But I remember uh, one year I got traded for the last month in Nashville and I got there and um, they we were only two goalie and we rotate the last like six game of the year, like oh, seven or eight game. Uh, so I played like every other game, which was, you know, probably the, the best moment where I felt like I was treated um, the same way than another goaltender. And it was based on my performance and not who I was. How'd you enjoy moonlighting and roller hockey international? Cause I remember you coming in with the New Jersey rock and rollers to play against the St. Louis Vipers. And I didn't know you were on the roster and I can't remember who the other goalie was. It may have even been Daniel Bertume at the time. I can't remember, but I remember looking out and seeing him like it's Mano Rayom. I can't believe it. And then, you know, the roller hockey game back then was crazy. No offsides. I think it was still four on four. What was that league like to play in? It was actually very interesting. Like, first of all, um, the reason I got there so when I went to Nashville, our coach ended up being a coach in roller hockey. So he said, you want to come and play in that roller hockey? And, you know, when you play in the minors, um, you, you get paid like during the season and you don't make million like you play in the NHL. So well, I think it's you don't have to tell me. Yeah. I made 450 a week in <laughs> Vegas, you know, I, I know. <laughs> So it's like, you're like, okay, I can take the summer job. And uh, it was actually fun because it was more relaxed than ice hockey. Even if it was pro, um, there was just a different game. It was really hard at first because those rollerblades, I remember like I got a pair of plastic rollerblades the first year to play on. They they didn't have like specific goalie rollerblade until like I think my second year playing pro. 
Um, so it was really hard at first to get used to. And I was high scoring the first year, I remember, because the goaltender, I think I had a hard time. The puck was light. It was just a different feel. But it become, it, it was great to be part of it. And it become a fun summer <laughs> job to have. And um, I, I really enjoyed it, actually. It was just a different um just a different vibe to the everybody was more relaxed yeah so you didn't have any negative things with it i remember when the players were sitting on the boards one game because they hadn't been paid in like two months or something you didn't have any of those negative stories with it no i we were lucky uh in new jersey we never had to deal with any of that and then i played two years in sacramento um which one year we play indoor where the basketball was, but the second year we played outdoor. The only thing I remember is a few nights they had bugs all over the floor uh, and you're playing in between the bugs and players were skating and the bugs were crossing. <laughs> it was really, really interesting. But other than that, um, it, it was I, I was on good team with good organization, so they took care of us. Let's talk about the 1998 Olympics, because this was the first time that women's hockey had been featured in it. You're on the team. You take home a silver medal. When you were growing up as a kid, did you ever dream that this would be something you'd be taking part of? Absolutely not. And actually, the funny thing is uh, when I did the I was competing in ski and playing hockey um, and I announced to my ski coach that I would choose hockey versus skiing he said to me why would you do that you're doing so well in ski you may have a chance to make it to the olympics in hockey you you have nowhere to go um and i said no that's what i want to do and to be able to be there in 98 and remember that talk i had with my ski coach and uh, one of the person i was skiing with was actually the same olympics than me in ski and i was there for high hockey so it was kind of like a, a dream come true um and to be to represent a country to the Olympics is something that is you can't explain the feeling unless you experience it. Um, I remember just watching the Olympics and every time Canada was coming into the opening ceremony at home and you had those butterflies seeing a country coming in and then it's your turn. You're the one walking there and you have a smile in your face that you cannot take away. Like it's just. It was a permanent smile and, and just a feeling that you feel of pride of representing your country. It was pretty cool. And that was really the gateway for women's hockey to go on to the big stage, I feel like, you know, because when I got to college, we had a Division One team at St. Lawrence University where I played that had been... I don't know if they've been around for three, four years, but women's hockey was really starting to hit a stride. And I know it's because that Olympics that a lot of young girls looked at it and thought, well, we can do this too. And now like my girl, my daughter, it doesn't even cross her mind that she can't or shouldn't be playing hockey because so many of them are doing it now. So did you guys know at the time that you were really breaking down doors and making the game a lot more accessible for young women down the road? I think absolutely. When I was the first uh, Olympics and our coach Shannon Miller, which she's a, she was a great ambassador of the game too. That's one of the things she said. Like we obviously uh, lost to US in the final and won the silver medal. We have to said one, <laughs> which is interesting because any athletes at the Olympics that get a medal, you finish first, second, or third, you're ecstatic. In hockey, yeah. you just lose the game, so it's hard to be like ecstatic to to get your silver medal, but. 
um, she made us realize after that we were going to impact so many girls with being part of the Olympics. And um, and it did make a difference. Uh, I, years later, I took an all-girls team in the Quebec TV tournament. That was the first time we had all girls on the team. And we played against the boys. And yes, uh, it was there. And they did a TV show on the girls. And uh, they were asking, what do you want to do? And those girls were answering, I want to play in the Olympics. And from that team, uh, both Kendall Coyne, that just did the NHL All-Star game, and Megan Bozak was on my team. So at 12 years old, they wanted to play in the Olympics. And now they are like superstar for the U.S. playing in the Olympics. So do you think any girls still have the dream, though, of playing in the NHL? And also, I mean, do you think it could happen? Because... I look at what they did at that skills comp. They're amazing players, but the women's and the men's game is a little bit different. So do you see down the road that there's still that chance that a woman could make her way into the National Hockey League? I I could never tell you it's not going to happen because a lot of people said to me, <laughs> it's not going to happen to you. So you right. never know. I think you, you could see uh, someone playing at that level. Um, I think it's a lot easier for a goalie versus a player just because you don't have to deal with the body checking. And yeah, most of I the agree. women are even a bigger girl now um, is a small, it would be an extremely small player in the NHL. And I think the NHL changed so much uh, with the size. Um, you know, I, they used to have tons of goalie that was 5'6", 5'7", 5'8", 5'9". You don't see that anymore. Uh, same thing with the players. So I think the size is a big issue uh, there. So um, it, it could happen. You never know. You could see a woman coach. You could see a, a woman player, a goaltender. But I think the difference in today's world is you have so much more opportunity on the girls' side to play the very high level the national team and those girls are amazing and uh, they can play with all good players at their size. Back then when I played uh, youth hockey, I was the only girl playing. So Mm. I didn't have any other option. Well, you're also a goalie mom now and not just a mom. You have two kids (laughs) uh, and, (laughs) you know, Dylan and Dakota, but your son's a goaltender. What's that like for you? Did you expect that to happen? How do you handle it? And like I said, my daughter who's six, she wants to be a goalie like daddy so bad. And I really was hesitant about this. And I think it's because we know how difficult this position can be, not just on the goalie itself, but on the parents. So how did you take to it? And also, does your does your son look to you for advice? Because in a lot of ways, you've been there and done that. Are you the, the wise person in the family he can look up to? Actually, that was funny when he, I, I was working at Mission Hockey and we were making equipment and uh, Dylan was really young and someone made me like some mini goalie gear and I thought that was the cutest thing. And um, when he started playing hockey, he was uh, playing forward and goalies and rotating, but the goalie was staying in that the whole game and didn't have to come off and he, he wouldn't want to sit and, you know, he didn't like sitting on the bench. He wanted to be out there the whole game. So, that's why you pick goalie. And uh, so at first I thought it was fun. And I remember when uh, the first year he played triple-A hockey, um, they were in the final of the state final. And he's the one that was playing the final. Um, And I woke up in the morning and I had butterfly in my stomach Hmm. as a mom. And then I called my mom and I said, okay, just tell me, am I normal right now that (laughs) I have a butterfly in my stomach because Dylan's playing in the final today? 
And my mom said to me, it's payback time. <laughs> so um, she's like, yes, it's normal. And uh, I realized, and then I said to my mom, oh my gosh, I appreciate everything you went through because um, it's really hard. As, one, especially when you play the position too, when you, the stress level of playing a goalie is the highest stress level you can have. But when you play the position yourself, you can control it because you, you know, your preparation or the way you are in the ice, you're the one that controls it. And that's the reason why I love playing goalie. It's because it's so stressful position. But when it's your son that plays, nothing you can do. Like you, you cannot control how well he's prepared before a game. You cannot control what's going to happen on the ice. You cannot control anything. And it's, so hard because it's a hard position and especially the level that he played and remember when he went and played USA and, and to the world championship and some of those moments it's like as a goalie every mistake is shown and you can be a hero or you can be zero oh, yeah. <laughs> game so um, you know it's it's the reason why I think we want to play the position when you want to play goalie. But as a mother, it's really hard. And I was so glad because my youngest one started, he wanted to be like his brother. So he started doing both goalie and players and he finally picked a player. And I was so happy. And it's such a different way to look at, to watch a game when your son is not in that. Um, so, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's been a lot of cool moment with him because I saw a lot of things that he does that I never talked to him about and uh, for example in warm-up like a couple times I was watching and at the end of a warm-up he wanted to catch the puck on his glove before he leaves the net and that's something I was doing but he never saw me play he didn't know that we never talked about that but this little thing like this that we we did and I think my son is dealing with a lot of the same thing that I was dealing um He's a really good goalie, but he's a smaller size goalie. And, um, you know, he has to prove himself every year. He had to prove himself uh, when he went to USA. And, and you know, he, it's um, we have that kind of connection to know what it is to always have to, to be the best. And that every game you play, it's to play another game. So um, it, not that we talk about it, but we get it. I get how you feel and you get how I felt. And I never really spent time talking to him about goaltending, always waiting for him to ask me a question if he wanted it. He knew that if he wanted to ask me things, uh, I would be there. But uh, the part that I think I helped him the most is the mental part of the game, which was probably my strength and the reason why I made it where I made it. So the physical part, obviously, I look at him now, is way better than when I played in Tampa Bay. <laughs> Um, because the game changed so much, those kids trained so much more. Like in the summer when we were a kid, we were playing baseball. We never did hockey camps right. and private lessons and all that stuff. Um, you know. So he's probably and, and a little bit more. Any, he's probably a little bit more of a technical goalie than you were back then, I guess, right? Oh, absolutely, and technical, and just um, you know. It, they watch the game so much. So, you know, the way you can read the play as yeah, a goalie, yeah. and people sound stupid, like why a goalie needs to read the play. I think it's one of the most important things because the game is so fast now. If you yeah. don't know what's going to happen before it happens, it's too late. So, um, but the reason that they can, they're so ahead of where we were, you know, you got all the social media, look the best goalie 
on your phone and you watch the game and you got, you know, so they have the game so much more that we had back then. Yeah, it's all copycat stuff now because we can see what everybody else is doing so quickly. It must tug on your heartstrings, though, to see him in the net. I'm sure it gets gets a little misty sometimes, too, because I'm already thinking about if my daughter actually chooses to do this. There might be a couple of times where I'm going to have to walk out of the building a little bit emotional about it, I think, because it's been such a huge part of my life. You know, it basically has defined me. I'm sure you kind of feel that same way on occasion. But looking back at what you've done, do you think that you really do you appreciate your accomplishments more now? You know, I that's the last few years I realized even more and um I look back now because every year I have the same media calling me and it's your 24th year anniversary. It's 25 year anniversary. And this year I think it's going to be like 26 or 27 and no other woman has done it, not only in hockey, but in the four major sports. And I'm like, wow, like I cannot believe I did that. And no other woman did that. And when I did it, I had no clue <laughs> what would, you know, happen with my life. It totally changed my life. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Please make sure that you like, comment, leave a rating, subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.